With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandslots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on ChumbaCasino.com. I looked over at the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's ChumbaCasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. BGW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. It's time for today's Lucky Land Horoscope with Victoria Cash. Life's gotten mundane, so shake up the daily routine and be adventurous with a trip to Lucky Land. You know what they say. Your chance to win starts with a spin. So go to LuckyLandSlots.com to play over 100 social casino-style games for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Get lucky today at LuckyLandSlots.com. Available to players in the U.S., excluding Washington and Michigan. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Turns and conditions apply. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. <laughs> Hey everybody, welcome back to From Complex to Queens, Amazing Avenue's minor league podcast. I'm Steve Saipa, and I'm joined by Lucas Vlahos and Ken Levin. How are you guys doing? All right, all right. Yeah, yeah, feeling good. All right, so um, Passover's this week, and despite all the stereotypes, some of them legit anti-Semitic tropes, and then some of them kind of good-natured, self-depreciating humor... Uh, the history of Jewish people in baseball, it goes back a while. Um, all of the immigrants from like the early 1900s, you know, it was kind of a rite of passage almost to become American by understanding and following baseball. And then the children of those immigrants became, you know, some of the greats, you know, Hank, Hank Greenberg, Sandy Koufax. And since then, there have been plenty of Jews in baseball. And, you know, a few stars here and there, but mostly journeymen. And unspectacular players, and that's what made the success of Team Israel in 2017 in the 2017 World Baseball Classic so crazy. Is that they were just basically a bunch of slubs, and they beat South Korea, Shlubs. Taiwan, the <laughs> Netherlands, and they played an extremely competitive game against Cuba. And those are some of the best baseball you know countries in the world. So the Mets have had uh, a few of those Team Israel players in their minor leagues. So who are we going to promote, extend, or trade? Or I guess in the spirit of Passover, 
who are we going to stoop, who are we going to plot, and who are we going to slip? <laughs> we have, have to give us, give us definitions of each of those, please. Well, when you you, you stoop someone, you, <laughs> you you know you you really like them. Okay. <laughs> and, okay. Yeah. When you plot over someone, you you know like them also in a different way though. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> and then when you're, you're gonna slap these guys. Yeah, the slap one them. makes sense. Yeah, that yeah. <laughs> So we have Ty Kelly, we have Ike Davis, and we have Zach Thornton, who ironically was the guy that Ike was traded for. Huh. Zach Thornton. Oh, I remember him. Left-handed starting pitcher yeah, 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 and got yeah, converted yeah, yeah. to relief. Yep. Yeah. Not good, but. Yeah. <sighs> Uh, I I caused so much pain and misery and disappointment that I think I have to schlep him. Mm-hmm. Um, nothing against him personally, but that was a roller coaster of a career. Uh, yeah, I got so tired of the Ike versus Duda conversation towards the end that, like, I you know, nothing against Ike, but I. I Really don't want to talk about him ever again. <laughs> I agree. <laughs> like, that conversation went on, like, a year too long. Yep. It was the Shortstop av- uh, Avenue audio before Shortstop <laughs> Avenue audio. Pretty uh, much, yeah. I don't I already forgot the other two words, but, uh, <laughs> I'm gonna take Ty Kelly as the one I really like and Thornton as the one I like, but less so. Let's go with that. Yeah, I, I agree with that. Um, Ty Kelly's Twitter game is very fun. <laughs> He's Listen. also a, a switch hitter, so that's cool. Has some versatility. He's going to play for a while, if not always on a big league roster, just because of those reasons. So, yeah. I would, on, uh, did he get time on the 2015 team? I don't remember if it was that year or the year. Uh, 2016. 2016, right, yeah. And then he was in the minors all year, I think, for 2018. Yeah, because 2017 he was with the Phillies, right? Yes. Think, yeah. All right. Well, sounds good. And uh, that will conclude the ethnic portion of this podcast. <laughs> <laughs> uh, back to regular stuff now. The Syracuse Mets. They went five and two, and they are 14 and nine for the season which puts them two games behind the Lehigh Valley Iron Pigs for first place in the International League North. The Binghamton Rumble Ponies went 3-2, and two, and they are 10-7 and seven for the year, which is just one game behind the Trenton Thunder for first in the Eastern League Eastern Division. St. Lucie Mets went 4-2, and two, and that puts them at 13-10 and 10 for the season, which is three games behind the Palm Beach Cardinals for first place in the FSL South. And finally, the Columbia Fireflies, they had a terrible week. They went 1-5, and five, and they are now a very disappointing 8-14 and 14 for the season. But somehow, I guess it's because it's only the end of April, but they're just three games behind the Greenfield Drive for first place in the South Atlantic League Southern Division. So, I mean, if they have a, a string of a couple of good games and Greenville has a couple of bad games, all of a sudden they're right back in the conversation. Uh, now our hitter of the week, <clears throat> and that is Syracuse Mets infielder Danny Espinosa. He played in six games this week, and he hit 
375-423-750 with three doubles and two home runs and a stolen base to boot. So for anyone who's not familiar with Espinosa, uh, he's been a major leaguer. He's a veteran. He was drafted by the Nationals in the third round of the 20, 2008 draft out of Cal State Long Beach. And the Nats were a little aggressive with him. They pushed him hard, and he was in major leagues by 2010 as his September call-up, and then 2011 as his first full season. And that year, he hit 236, 323, 414, with 21 homers and 17 stolen bases, which was actually good for sixth in National League Rookie of the Year conversation. Craig Kimbrell won that year. He got all the votes, all the first-place votes. And Espinosa really never really reached those heights again. And because the average is so low and the on-base is kind of eh, I guess it's kind of hard to say that those numbers were a high. But at the same time, he did basically have a 2020 season, and he has some utility at shortstop. So I don't want to take that away from the guy, but his best wasn't really that great. And he spent the next couple of years in the Nats infield, either at short or at second until 2016, because that winter they got Adam Eaton, which meant that they were going to shift Trey Turner back into the infield, which meant that Espinosa was the odd man out. So he got traded to the Angels in exchange for Austin Adams and Kyle McGowan, and his tenure there was pretty short. It started off with a bang, because his first hit was a game-winning homer, but he ended up hitting 162, 237, 276 in 77 games. And he was designated for assignment and then eventually released late in the summer. The Mariners and the Rays both took gambles on him down the stretch, but he didn't really do anything of importance for either team. And then he bounced around the minors in 2018. He signed with the Yankees over the winter, and then he played for the Blue Jays, the Dodgers, and the Phillies at different points during the season. And then he signed with the Mets this winter. And his time in Syracuse has definitely been better than his time in Buffalo, Lehigh Valley, or Oklahoma City last year. Um, maybe it's because of the, you know, quote-unquote juice triple-A ball. Maybe it's because he learned a trick or two when he was playing in Mexico over the winter. Maybe it's just statistical noise over the first month of the season. Who knows? But despite the numbers, the good numbers so far, Espinosa definitely has an uphill battle. When it comes to possible MLB playing time, uh, the Mets is infield. It's already crowded with Cano, McNeil, Rosario, Frazier, soon Jed Lowry, and then add Luis Guillorme and Adani Echeverria to the mix as other possible AAA guys that could see MLB playing time. And it's hard to see any kind of real path to the majors for Espinosa. Do you guys have any thoughts about him? I'm, I'm honestly surprised any infielder signed with any minor league infielder signed with the Mets this offseason, given given how uh, deep the major league infield is. Like, what do you what are, where are you looking at on this team and saying, yeah, I could get to the majors? It had to go pretty wrong. For, yeah, I mean, for, I was looking over details of his contract, checking to see if it was one of those things where he was given the option of, you know dropping it after a certain amount of time, but I couldn't find anything. So, uh, you know, unless he asks for his release and the Mets grant it, uh, it seems pretty, seems pretty stuck. Yeah. 
I I'm, have, I'm gonna go, go ahead, ahead and yeah, I'm just gonna say that I, I think Danny Espinosa probably didn't have too many options, uh, given the fact that he spent pretty much all of 2018 well, in AAA. You know, that's fair. Um, off the t- so I, I'm curious what you guys think because off the top of my head, I thought Danny Espinosa, man, he used to kill the Mets. What do what do you guys think without checking? What, that's actually very true because when I was looking at his stats, I remember saying to myself like, wow, this guy is not very good. And I remember him not necessarily being hyped on like Twitter and, you know, just online, but I remember him being a lot better than his numbers actually were. And that probably has become because he was a Met killer. And he, well, he wasn't actually a Met killer. He wasn't even that good against the Mets. He hit huh. 227, 309, 353. That's, uh, scrolling. 97 OPS plus per baseball reference. Like, not how that. Many, hmm? How many dingers though? Nah, no, that's the thing. Let's see. Dingers, dingers. Seven that, dingers in 312 at bats. Not insane. Not, not a ton. Yeah. I was going to say that maybe the recency bias is because that's kind of all he does is that's hit true. dingers. I mean, the Nats also just always beat the Mets for like a two or three year stretch, so oh, yeah. probably, we all have PTSD from that. <laughs> uh, he was also like, him and Desmond was like their Duda versus Ike for a while as to mm-hmm. who should be their shortstop. Uh, that's wild. Des- <laughs> yeah, Desmond won that. Anyway, that's enough yeah. about Danny Espinosa. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, in that's- 2019. <laughs> That's a lot of attention for Danny Espinosa in 2019. He's had a pretty well, good career. Pretty good yeah. run. Yeah. yeah. Our pitcher of the week is a guy who, uh, God willing, you know, another 10 years from now will be someone that we're still talking about, and that is Anthony Kay. This week he started two games, and he pitched 11.1 innings, giving up five hits, one run, walking five and striking out 17, which is good for a 79 ERA for the week. So for those who don't know, Kay was selected 31st overall in the 2016 draft. He was a left-hander out of UConn, and even though he had a fantastic season with them, uh, he posted a 265 ERA in 119 innings and generally was... A good collegiate pitcher. He had a cumulative 264 ERA in 286 innings, which is a lot for a college pitcher, and it will become actually pretty relevant in a couple of minutes. But despite the good numbers, the Mets were interested in Kay before 2016. He was born and raised in Stony Brook and went to Ward Melville High School, which is the same high school that Stephen Matz went to. And just like Matz, Kay set all kinds of records, um, 27 actually, and basically the Mets were looking to strike gold twice from the same place, and they drafted Kay in the 29th round of the 2013 draft. They uh, offered him a six-figure deal, but Kay didn't take it. He went to college instead, and fast forward 2016, and with the compensation pick that the Mets had when Daniel Murphy went to Nets, they picked Kay. He didn't sign until very late. He was actually one of the last high-profile draftees to sign with the team before the July 15th deadline. Um, 
with a slot value of $1,972,000. He agreed to an underslot deal for just over a million. And it is believed that it took so long to sign him and he signed for so quote unquote little is because of concerns that showed up in his elbow during the physical uh, that he had with the Mets. Specifically, x-rays showed some fraying in his UCL that might necessitate Tommy John. And sure enough, in October that year, he went underwent Tommy John surgery. So he missed the entire 2017 season, but his recovery was without setbacks, and he made his professional debut last year. He began the season with the Columbia Fireflies and posted a very underwhelming 454 ERA in 69 innings. And then when he was promoted to St. Lucie midseason, he did a little better there. He pitched 53 innings, and he posted a 3.88 ERA. So Kay, looking at Kay, he's a, he's a smaller, he's on the smaller side, and he really maximizes his delivery to get every ounce of velocity that he can. Uh, this, there's some effort in his arm action, but he does use his lower half well, and, you know, there aren't any major injury flag, uh, injury red flags or anything like that. Um, the fastball sits in the low 90s. It can top out as high as about 95 or so, and, and it does get some sink and some arm side run, and he's able to command the pitch well. And then, uh, looking at his secondaries, coming out of UConn, he threw a changeup and a curveball, with the changeup being the much better of the two, uh, about a, an above average pitch or so. It sat in the low 80s with some fade and tumble, and then the curveball was about a below average pitch because it was a very slurvy, kind of high 70s, uh, 11 to 5 curve. Since going professional, you know, and then pitching last season, the order of those two pitches hasn't changed, but the effectiveness of the changeup has taken a step back or two. Um, in college, he kind of telegraphed the pitch a lot, but he was still able to get that arm side action on it. Last season, the, pit, the changeup was very firm. It didn't really have that much fade to it, and it didn't look like a, a pitch that could be considered above average. So... It's only been a handful of starts, and we're still in April in the cold, rainy Northeast, so it's hard to get a gauge as to whether or not the numbers that he's put up so far are just, you know, some relatively small sample noise or if there's been a real development in either the curveball or the changeup. I know Lucas has some very strong feelings about K. Has his month now of putting up good numbers change your opinion of him any no i mean i mean my my opinions about k are mostly about the process that went into drafting him like if k was a fourth round pick i'd be like yeah this is a marginally interesting prospect it's just the the taking taking a guy who was so heavily abused with such low upside in basically the first round is my problem with k um I mean, I want to ask you guys, since I haven't actually watched him, and I'm not sure that I'd be the most qualified person if I did, have you guys seen any of his starts this season? Like, do you think the stuff has improved? Because, uh, I mean, I guess he's at a pretty age-appropriate or, or experience-appropriate level. It's not like they have him in rookie ball blowing away 18-year-olds. So the strikeouts are interesting, but I am concerned by the, the relatively high walk rate, right? Like, if he can't maintain this kind of strikeout rate, which – no one has ever projected him to do walking this many guys is really problematic. Um, 
So, so if he's going to walk that many, it's interesting to me if the strikeouts are for real, and I, I don't know that we have enough data or enough in-person looks to, to say that they are real yet. Um, so I, I was fairly impressed with him at, in spring. Um, the curveball looks a lot better than it did as an amateur. I, mm. I saw a few starts of him at UConn, and um, Steve's <laughs> report on him, you know, the changeup being more advanced than the curveball was, was definitely true then. It was very slurvy, yep. um, kind of like a loopy breaking pitch that wouldn't have worked at present in the, in, you know, affiliated ball. Um, that being said, it really took a big step forward last year. And, um, maybe even, I, I don't know if it's taken an additional step forward, but I think it's like an above average offering now, mm. or at least flashes above average. Um, so that, that's really why I, I went from very low on K <laughs> to, hey, maybe he's a reliever, <laughs> like a good reliever. Sure. Um, um, where, where does he, did you see where, what like his general approach was? Like, is he someone who wants to keep the ball down or is he more of a fly ball guy? What's his, like, where is he, where is he throwing in the zone usually? Let's see. Uh, um, he is able to go all over and he does get if I'm not mistaken, a pretty high ground ball rate. Because mm. I, I remember reading at some point that in the in the minors, very often high strikes aren't called. So if he could, if he was a guy who was working up in the zone, I might be less concerned about the walk rate. Um, I also, I might also be totally wrong on that, but I'm pretty sure that's. I could not cite the article, but I'm pretty sure that's what it said. Um, <laughs> yeah, I think I know what you're referring to. Um, I think it was a, a Baseball America article. Yeah. Yeah. About um, him having a high spin fastball, which I don't know if that's, you know, actually true or not, but, um, yeah. he's been like a fly ball pitcher this year. He's at a 48.1%, obviously like a small sample, especially when you're talking about batted ball data. Yeah, but, um, absolutely. I don't know. He's appeared to me and I'm not really sure if this is true or not, but, um, just to like, you know, like I, I've seen him throw, I think like two or three starts this year, and in spring he throws a lot of fastballs. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm thinking that he, he may get a lot more swings and misses if he leans on the curve a little harder. Okay. Uh, but again, I'm, I'm probably too high on his curveball. So. I mean, I'm uh, I'm always skeptical of of, and I think this is a generally accepted truism that anybody with a good changeup in the minors is going to look better than they actually are because mm-hmm. everyone in the minors has never seen a good changeup and just flails wildly. Uh, yeah. So if he was still a fastball changeup guy and was putting up these kind of numbers, I'd be even less high on him. But mm-hmm. if he's doing this with a breaking ball that that looks plus or flashes plus, whatever, that's that's encouraging to me. Um. Yeah, I mean, he's was... definitely improved, I think, mm-hmm. um, over the last – basically since coming back from Tommy John. He's definitely looked better than I thought he would uh, when he was drafted. Do you, do you think the changeup has taken a step back, or is it just that he's not using it as much now? I, I've talked to Jeff about this, and it's apparently a pretty well-documented thing that um, changeup command is often something that goes away after Tommy John surgery. I, I could buy that. Like it's not um, an easy pitch to throw and et cetera, et cetera. Requires a lot of, you know, feel yep. and uh has to come off the hand right. Yep. So um I don't know. I mean I could definitely buy that and and look, if you're right about his curveball and let's mm-hmm. let's give him the benefit of the doubt and say he can regain his 
change up with more time between surgery and and uh and I, I would say like the cur- the change was at least average and borderline plus coming coming out of college. That's an intriguing pitch mix then. Yep. Like that's yeah, a that start. Give him three at least average pitches, which you need to succeed. Yeah. Yeah. With with, with fine velocity for a lefty. So yeah. Uh, Steve, can I pat you on the back for good scouting? <laughs> uh, if you want to, sure. Yeah, so I'm looking at Anthony Kay's uh, draft write-up, and uh, you said of his curveball, the key to this pitch's development is Kay's wrist. He mm-hmm. generally releases the pitch with a stiff wrist. Uh, if the left-hander is able to loosen and turn over his wrist when he releases the pitch, he'll be able to generate more break on the ball. I forget where I read this, but I think that's exactly what happened with him. Hmm. So... Good job. I was I was three years in the future, three years ago. <laughs> Steve in 2016, Steve living in 2019, and none of us knew it. I mean, I, I always find that interesting. The 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 Tommy John recovery guys, and I find it interesting in other sports where you miss significant time as well. Do you like go back to the drawing board a lot, like revisit fundamentals that might have slipped over the years, and perhaps you come back better, especially with how good training staffs and strength and conditioning staffs are these days. So, I mean, that's a really interesting tidbit that he basically relearned or greatly fixed his curveball coming back from Tommy John. Um, so much coaching and, and everything has has come so far since, you know, even the, let's say, the last decade or so, all that stuff has come so far with training staffs and whatever else. Mm-hmm. It's definitely interesting stuff. I mean, it's... I- it, Go ahead, Ken. Uh, I was going to say, I, I kind of feel like you have to treat them as two different pitchers, you know, pre-Tommy John and post. Sure. Based on, you know, how much noise gets introduced when you take a year off of baseball, you know. Um, so I think it's generally encouraging that some of the good things with Kay showed up again. And there were some weird developments that make him mildly interesting. I think that's fair to say. <laughs> right. It's actually interesting that you say that, that we need to treat players coming back from Tommy John as completely different guys. Because, I mean, thinking about it for just me at least, when I think of a guy like Kay, who doesn't have, like, an outstanding fastball, I don't really think of it in terms like that. But yet when we were looking at Zapucky or Marcos Molina, that is exactly how we always were. We always had to denote everything with before Tommy John and then after Tommy John. That's actually mm-hmm. an interesting mm-hmm. That's a thing. good point. Yeah. Yeah, and, I think they're the extreme examples. Um, not everybody, you know, looks quite as different. Um, but I, I think that's kind of a good way to think about it, generally. I think a lot of it is also polished. Like, you expect guys with polish to retain the knowledge they have, right? Maybe yeah. maybe you want to call it maturity, whatever term you want to give it. You That's assume true. that they're not going to forget all the lessons they've learned versus the guys who are raw stuff like Molina and Sapucky, which is to take nothing away from their, their knowledge of baseball, just they have less experience. So you, if they're someone who relies on pure stuff, that, that feels more important. It feels more important to denote the pre and post Tommy John side of things. I, I mean, look, at this point, Kay has not all at the same time, but at various points in his career flashed every tool he needs to be not just a back-end starter, but perhaps a mid-rotation starter. Mm-hmm. And, and 
that that's already an improvement to me over over what he was drafted as and uh what I honestly expected coming back from Tommy John. So he's he's looking like a mild organizational success so far, you know. I mean, at this point, um, he's what, like tenth on the starting pitching depth chart. I think we had or we had this conversation about <laughs> Harold last week, but like, I, I think you can make a very good argument that he's probably the best uh, pitching prospect in the org right now, considering Colome is hurt, Peterson is, you know, whatever. Peterson, yeah. Whatever. <laughs> um, all of this being said, and I, I know I'm very high on, on Case Curveball. I don't know if it's an out pitch. <laughs> I just want to say that. <laughs> I think it's probably closer to above average than like, you know, a legit like plus offering. So, I mean, I mean, I might be totally off base here, but it sounds like the arsenal we're describing is not mm-hmm. totally dissimilar from Steven Matz in 2019. Oh yeah, <laughs> and that's a Mike Mustakas homer aside, solid pitcher. Oh yeah, that, that's a guy who you're okay with being in your rotation, you know. Yep. If you have yeah. an offense that can score six runs a yeah. game, that's great. Steven Matz minus is not a bad outcome here. Not at all. All right. Well, that was uh, a very hearty discussion about Anthony Gay. <laughs> <laughs> and we will be back after this. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to Chumbacasino.com and play over a 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Lucky Land Casino. Asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Welcome back, everybody. I'm Steve Saipa, and I'm joined by Lucas Lajos and Ken Lavin. And... We'll pick up with that discussion about Kay, and we're going to talk about some trends that the Mets have become known for over the last couple of years, uh, specifically how quickly or how slowly they've been to promote minor league players. So what do you guys think? Uh, I think our stance is on uh, the Mets' previous developmental decisions are pretty well known at this point, like... uh, (laughs) Slow molasses level slow would probably still be giving them too much credit for previous promotion practices. Yeah, I will never be able to forget um, David Peterson just carving up Sally League hitters for like way, way, way too long. Yeah, like, look, I, I, he legit looked like Andrew Miller against them. <laughs> a guy like Peterson, there's no reason for him to have been starting in Columbia. Yeah. Even uh, even yeah. the kind of early phantom injury, whatever it was, aside, I mean, you could have started him in St. Lucie. I mean, he's he was legit. Like what? This one of the top five college pitchers in baseball that season. 
Yeah, that might be yeah. that might be overselling him a touch. And, but... and we're talking about you know he's play he he was in the Pac-12, which is a very good conference and probably a higher level of competition you know across the board than the Sally League. Yep. Like you're facing the like less refined D1 hitters from worse conferences than the Pac-12. Uh, yeah, no reason for him to be there, but. No. You know, we, we've covered that pretty extensively. <laughs> well, this year, the Mets have been a little more aggressive. I mean, look at look at basically half of the roster of Columbia. They're struggling a little bit right now, but you know, guys like Vientos, guys like um, Simeon Woods, Richardson, guys like Mauricio. Juan Oriarte, a lot of these guys, Shrivan Newton, a lot of these guys, you know, I, a year or two ago, you'd have said, you know, Brooklyn is going to be loaded. <laughs> now we're saying Columbia is going is, is loaded. Brooklyn must win. Um, yeah, I mean, this is, this is a really drastic change in philosophy. And I actually got to ask Sandy this question at one of the various meetups they did at one point. I think in 2017, and the answer, like, there wasn't a really, and I'm sure it's uh, also him, like, trying to obfuscate their actual strategy, but the the answer is very unsatisfying. It's like, we have certain benchmarks that guys have to hit, and if they don't hit them, they don't get to be promoted, which just felt so uh, draconian and rigid for for no no real reason. Like, every prospect is, diff- is different. Um there's no reason for Jeff, that Jeff McNeil needs to get 150 at bats at a certain level. There's no reason Stephen Valines needs to get 20 innings at a certain level. Um, yep. and, it se- and it seems like to the new front office's credit, they've moved past this. Yeah, they're definitely being a little more um, prescriptive, you know. Yeah. Um, now, at the same time, you don't want to pull an Omar and push people way, way, way too fast, like starting Henry Mejia in the majors in <laughs> – what what year was that? I think I was. 10, like, I think I think nine. I was like thirteen. What was he like twenty? Yeah, he was twenty. Uh, let's see. Right, but so th- there's a balance, of course. Um, yep. Twenty. <laughs> geez, like he was, and he was very clearly not ready. Um, and you can ruin guys that way. So, so oh, yeah. you have to strike a balance. Who are there any? Are there any guys you're like particularly happy with? what they've done this year. Um, Ken? Uh, I've been very happy with Simeon Woods Richardson. Um, mm-hmm. Ultimately, I'm, I'm not sure if he's a starter or reliever, um, but he, he is like striking out like something like 40% of the hitters he's faced, and he, he's extremely young for the level. Um, so that's always nice to see, even if you're skeptical about the results against more advanced hitters, you know? Um, right. I mean, they, he's, uh, yeah. he's 18 and they put him in, uh, they put him in single A, which they would have never done that in the past. No, no. Mm-hmm. And like, like, they're basically using him as a reliever, um, but more like an opener, I guess. Mm-hmm. So they're still like managing his innings very closely. But yeah, he would have been in the, co- he would, he would still be in, in the complex right now and probably would be looking to start in Kingsport if this was two years ago. Yeah, I'm trying to think. Like, I mean, I guess Sapaki is a good parallel 
to oh to yeah like a like similar age profile etc. And they left him in the complex. Yep. For three and, months. Uh, he probably didn't need to go to Brooklyn. Nope. Uh, Although, uh, <laughs> it's looking like it might not have mattered. <laughs> yeah. Uh, why, why do you have to depress us like this? I, I'm a depressing person. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I mean, we, we were looking at a couple other parallel. There was the, the reliever parallel we had before. Who was the guy you were looking at? Uh, Gilliam? Yeah. Right. Yeah, yeah, he he was the name I was also gonna say is that um he just got promoted to double A. That would not have happened two years ago. Right. I mean the easy parallel is the lines. He's kind of the flip side of somebody who should be a triple A. Right, exactly. <laughs> but isn't yet. Um I think Adolf would have been you know, I really shouldn't just call him Adolf. That's unfortunate. Ross oh, yeah. Adolf uh would have been a really good case study had they not traded him. Um as to what they would do with these kind of players, um, like advanced college bat, former Mets started him in Brooklyn for no reason apparently. Uh, I would have liked to see what they did with him. I mean, we could look at Carlos Cortez, but I don't think that's particularly informative. Because he's he's probably where he should be. <laughs> <laughs> it's Carlos Cortez. Uh, we are not Carlos Cortez fans. Mm-mm. I do find him very interesting <laughs> for some uh, reason. <laughs> I find the Mets' obsession with him very interesting. Yeah, that's probably a better way to put it. Because <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> it's like this weird psychological puzzle we can't unpack. He was way, way better as a, a prep <laughs> than he was as a, a college draftee. Uh, sophomore eligible draftee, right? And they still, mm-hmm. yeah, they still gave him a million dollars. I don't understand. Yeah. Um, we could talk about that all day. <laughs> yeah, I mean, like, just just as a as something that actually happened, like Quinn Brody, who isn't particularly good despite his 420 blaze at Babbitt this year so far. Though he is striking out less, um, but he like wasted a lot of time as an advanced college bat in single A mm-hmm. versus Cortez. They've just thrown up higher. Um, so it's encouraging. Yeah. Yeah. Would you say um, they've been better, if not quite, where you want them to be? Is that a, a fair way to characterize this? I'm trying to I'm trying to think of someone I've been displeased with where they put them uh, so far this season. Besides uh, podcast concern, Stephen Pelines. Yeah, I mean that that I at least understand because the AAA bullpen is crowded already. But I don't know if you guys have a name. I'm much less. Uh, on the ball with the lower minors guys, which seems like where they might be making mistakes. Like, is there anybody they left in the complexes that probably shouldn't be there? No one comes to mind for me. Yeah, same. Um, Let's see. I'm trying to think. Someone that is not on any roster that could be. Uh, While well, Steve thinks the, of names. The tall guy. But his name is not coming to me right now. Is it Santos? Yes, Junior Santos. Oh, okay. They did promote him to Kingsport, and I mean, yeah. they brought him stateside, and he 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 could have been, I think, challenged in uh, Colombia. I mean, he is the same age and kind of level of experience as Woods Richardson. <laughs> I think the Kingsport and Brooklyn rosters are going to be the most interesting ones from this point of view. Yeah, um, 
I, I saw Francisco Alvarez in the complex. It wasn't like a real look, but he looks like a 19 year old. He's like a big, big, big dude. Um, like not, not tall, but like, uh, Wilson Ramos like came to mind. Just mm-hmm. that kind of thick, you know? Right. Um, yeah. <laughs> he, I don't know. I don't know if I, I didn't really see him run at all. <laughs> I don't know if he's <laughs> quite as lead footed, but, um, like he's a big dude. I would think that he should be in Brooklyn this year, mm-hmm. just based on you know everything I've heard about, about him. And so that'll be interesting to see how that shakes out. He's still incredibly young. Um, Junior Santos is another one that you know I'll be looking to see where they end up putting him. Consuegra as well. Consuegra as well. That's another good good poll. Um. um Ostadio. Though I mean he's not as big a name, but I do <laughs> want to see what they do with Ostadio. Uh, Me too. <laughs> I mean, I think this is a discussion we have to revisit once the like in uh, two months, yeah. three months, whenever whenever those rosters come out, because that's like half the philosophy right there. Yeah, I, I'll sum it up as basically being we're happy with what we've seen so far, but the real determination is going to be when the short season rosters shake out. Do you think that you don't think they've been too aggressive or anything? With I mean, Mauricio's looked good. Newton was hurt, so we have no data. Vientos uh, has also looked fine, so I guess I haven't been really too aggressive with any of those guys, which was probably the big risk of the decisions they've made so far. Yeah, I think this is the test that Vientos needed. You know, mm-hmm. I think if they put him in Brooklyn, it would have been more or less a retread of last year. No, I, I agree um, with it, that. It, mm-hmm. It's up to him to perform in full season now. I, I don't think there's any process problem there. Um. And he's looked fine. He's, he's been, it's been rough, uh, but he's basically been a league average hitter. Um, the K rates up a little bit, the walks down a little bit, but again, it's what, uh, 79 PAs? He's so. not, he's not so overwhelmed that facing better competition is useless. Yeah, right. Right. Like I, I always say you want to play, I say this about not baseball, but other things, like you want to play someone who's better than you, but not so much better than you that you're just getting yeah. stomped. Right. He, he's roughly the same age as, as Kelnick, who also ended up in, in the Sally this year, so. Kelnick's killing it. Totally. Yeah. There, but. He's looked real good. Um, I think so maybe. Has Edwin Diaz. Yeah, yeah I'm, I'm, exactly. not, I'm not complaining. Not, we not traded a very good prospect for very good big leaguers. <laughs> yes. Not, yeah, not, not, no complaint at all. But I, mean, I think you maybe could have made an argument for Newton since he struck out so much at the lower yeah. level, but. It, it's still fine. Like it's it's an understandable decision. Yeah, we're we're talking about you know, I'd rather him get reps outside of the complex right now. Yep, I you can always send him back to Brooklyn if he continues striking out at fifty percent of the, his plate appearances. Mm-hmm. To be clear, I, I don't expect that to continue. <laughs> that would be a pretty good indicator. <laughs> hey, I mean the Royals keep promoting games. the Royals keep promoting Suli Matthias or however you pronounce his name. So. Clearly, the strikeouts are only so much of a problem. <laughs> well, I'm going to check Matthias's strikeout rate real quick here, just to add flavor to this discussion. Uh, 39%. 39%. Yikes. After 35%, 35% last year at single A, promoted advanced A. He did hit 31 homers, though. 
That is a bit excessive. <laughs> All right. Well, I think a, a, a player with a very high uh, strikeout rate is a good segue into, oh, yeah, that guy, because the player that I selected for this week is a guy that had a pretty high strikeout rate overall, although it's not that bad. But the guy selected <clears throat> was Adelin Rodriguez, who over the course of the last week of April in 2014 went 8-4-25 in six games, and he hit four home runs and had a very solid 320 393, 840 line for the week. You know, bonafide 80 power and like a 70 arm, but that's pretty much all that Adderlin was. And then once he got exposed to better pitching, he kind of got a lot of strikeouts, and that was the end of that. Basically hovered around 20% with a walk rate of like 5 or so, which is not going to really cut it. But he's actually still in organized ball, which is pretty crazy. Mets released him in 2015, and he's been with Baltimore pretty much for the last couple of years. And he's been okay. Mind you, he's been, like, way over the league uh, average age. So he's not a, a age-level appropriate guy. But in 2016, he hit over 300, actually, for their high A team. In 2017, he hit 279 for their double-A team. And then he repeated uh, his time with Bowie in 2018 last year, and he hit 286. Um, and he's currently hurt now, so he hasn't actually played. But he is rostered, and he's going to play in, for the uh, Chihuahuas in the PCL. So, I mean, he might actually get an MLB call-up, which is kind of crazy. That I mean, crazy. it's not like... You're not outlandishly crazy, but it is kind of crazy considering, you know, he was, he was such a kind of one dimensional player and he's only 27, uh, he's only 27. So, you know, the next couple, he could theoretically have a chance over the next couple of years, assuming that he does like, okay. Muncie. <laughs> I mean, you never know. Probably not, <laughs> but you never know. Did he ever play with, um, who was the third baseman prospect? He wound up on the Angels for a little bit. Uh, Jeffrey Marte? Is that, is that who I'm thinking of? Yes, yeah. Did they ever play together? I don't think so. No? Okay. Thinking of a different corner infield duo, probably. I feel like Marte was a long time ago. Although they are the same age, actually. Let's see. Did they play together? Yes, they did. Oh, yes. <laughs> 20. No, they didn't. Damn it. They were a, they're the same age, but they're level apart. Mm. And I vaguely, I mean, I vaguely remember being somewhat excited about both of them at some point years ago, but. No, well, Marte made it to the majors, so. I mean, uh, hey, let's hope Adeline pulls it off too. Yeah, why keep not? The, get that first hit, keep that ball, have it forever. Be able to put that on his resume for the rest of his life. I was mm -hmm. I was a major league baseball player. 
Yep. Um, I think both of us have pitchers, right, Ken? Yes. All right. You have a starter. Yes. Uh, you start that. Air quotes. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> um, so my guy is um for oh yeah that guy was a pitcher that the Mets found out of indie ball. Uh, in 2015, let me get his Fangraphs page up, uh, Andrew Barbosa, who my friend Joe, who used to work for the Binghamton Mets, referred to as a six foot eight pirate who was too tall for his green screen. So, that's fun. Um, the name is Barbosa, pirate is a good name, so. Exactly. I think he embraced the nickname too. Um, but yeah, uh, on April 26th, 2016 for Binghamton. Um, he threw 7.1 innings of two-run ball and struck out 10 against one walk. It's a pretty good day. Um, That's a good day. Yep. Yeah. He pitched reasonably well for Bingo that season. Let me pull that up. Yep. A 1.5 oh, – wait. 2.33 ERA – Against a, I don't have FIP up, a 2.33 ERA in 38.2 innings, uh, striking out almost a batter an inning, 36 Ks again in 38.2 innings, and uh, against 16 walks. So not a bad year for a 28-year-old journeyman reliever no, in the Eastern League. Any time a guy like that can get back into organized ball, oh, yeah, it's always massive. great for them. And then to have, you know, a pretty good season on top of that is icing on the cake. Yep. Um, and uh, an interesting tidbit I came across while researching this segment poorly is that he was a reserve for the Puerto Rican national baseball team uh, that Seth Lugo was the ace of in the 2017 World Baseball. Huh. I would have never guessed that. Would have yeah. never guessed that. Never in a hundred years. Yep. Uh, I don't know. I don't think he actually got into game action. I could be wrong about that, but yeah, he, he was like on the roster. Seth Lugo was too busy spin rating people to death. <laughs> oh, he looked so nasty in those games. He looked pretty nasty today too. He, he, he might just be very good, Lucas. <laughs> he might, it might just be that when he's not sick, he's good. Yeah. Crazy idea, I know. He might just be a very good reliever. He, uh, has spin rate on his side. Physics yeah. on his side, as I like to say. Yeah. Uh, so my guy is also a pitcher. Um, I pulled out Buddy Carlisle for this one. <laughs> really, one of the guy, one of the guys we get to put on the segment that had an actual major league career or a, a well, a larger than usual major league career. Um, but at the start of 2014, Carlisle was still in the minors for the Mets, uh, and over uh, like 10 day stretch. From the 17th to the 28th, he threw six and a third innings of 1.42 ERA ball, six strikeouts. Uh, this was with AAA Vegas. 2014, they were in Vegas? Yes. Yes. Okay. I forget when they moved from North Carolina to Vegas. Was it North? Whatever. Um, so Carlisle, of course. To Buffalo. To Vegas. Mm-hmm. Okay, right. So Carlisle, of course, did wind up on the, the Major League roster that year. Um, it's a year when the Mets were showing some promise. I believe they actually finished above 500 in the second half. Uh, the pitching was starting to percolate up to the majors and look good. Um, 
And after 33 innings in the minors, Carlisle came up and threw 31 major league innings. It was really good. He had a 1.45 ERA, a 2.65 FIP, struck out 8 per 9 innings, limited walks, limited home runs, like a, a cromulent setup guy. Um, and then the Mets brought him back to start 2015, and I believe he's one of the first guys that Terry ran into the ground, overused, and got him hurt, and he never really pitched again, uh, which is a shame. Um, but in that 2014 season, kicked off by his strong April, he got up to the majors, had some significant time, got a hit in his one plate appearance too, uh, and then got some money in 2015 before uh, riding off into the sunset. So I, his I, major league batting average is one. Uh, let's see. Well, for the he, Mets anyway, I guess. For the Mets, yes. For not his, uh, nope, that's not what I wanted. I want, oh, Fangraphs, Fangraphs, please. Don't do this well, to me. Lucas, while you, you know, figure out the, the stats <laughs> that you're looking for, uh, my favorite Buddy Carlisle story is that he got the save on opening day of the 2015 season. Uh, oh, right. I yeah, he came in for, because Henry Mejia was hurt or something. Uh, there was something. Uh, was he suspended? No. No, I think, the, I think that might have been the first suspension out of two. Cause I, I, I know the second one, uh, was around the trade deadline. That uh, might have been it, yeah. But I think they called it an injury. I'm looking on Wikipedia. And it says he <laughs> came in for an injured Henry Mejia. Yeah. But yeah. Injured could be in air quotes there. Who knows? <laughs> injured. Yeah. Don't that's want a thing. Uh, that's a thing that will always be true. Is that Buddy Carlisle got a save on the first game of the 2015 National League pennant winning Mets season. That's uh. Pretty good to put on his mantle there. He does not have – so he was actually a starter when he first came up for the Braves, it looks like. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's the only way he – wait, I'm sorry. He pitched for the Padres, Dodgers, and then the Braves. So he got a little bit of time as a starter, hence his career batting line is 175, 217, 175. But he does indeed have a 1,000, 1,000, 1,000, <laughs> 497 weighted runs created plus line for the Mets. <laughs> Not bad. I think I even remember that hit. I don't know why I can picture that hit in my head, but oh, I can Oh, it's always fun when relievers get a hit. I, I, could, I could not tell you the game it happened in with the context of him hitting. I just remember him getting a hit. Uh, but yeah, that's the – oh, yeah, that guy. I'm a fan of anybody whose first name is Buddy. Buddy, yeah. Is I that remember his actual name, or is it just a nickname? No, his actual name is Earl Lester Buddy, in, in quotes, Carlisle. But right, I, th- I think is... he made a, a good decision going Yeah. No, I should have stuck with Earl. <laughs> <laughs> Earl Carlisle sounds like the guy that is going to, like, pump your gas in Nowhereville, Tennessee. Or or I could picture it be like Earl Carlisle Esquire or something like that. One or the other. Ooh. <laughs> <laughs> I, I do vaguely remember him being something of a, a slack favorite, and then when Terry broke him, there was some anger. When Terry was, broke him, he broke the hearts of slack. Yes, there was some – of course, we were never Terry's biggest fans in the first place, so perhaps we're by, a little bit biased there. <laughs> All right. Well, does anybody have uh, any last words for the week? Edwin Diaz. Observations, anything. Uh, Edwin Diaz is so much fun to watch. 
He is. I want to see, you know, so someone was saying that Rich Hill was pitching in the complexes and just brutalizing people with his curveball, <laughs> which I would have paid good money to see because I love, I love watching flailing swings. I think they're hilarious. <laughs> I want to see Edwin Diaz face like low A hitters. <laughs> just throw them just blowing 98 by like no, no fastball. 17 year old kids only, only sliders I just want them to try to hit one of his sliders I would pay money to watch this that would be fun it'd be hilarious anyone has any uh, questions comments whatever send us an email at our email address which is from complex to queens at gmail.com or you could follow us on twitter and then shoot us questions there i'm at steve Saipa. lucas is at el vlahos 343 and kenny is at ken lavin 91 and of course if you haven't already done so but you're still somehow listening subscribe to the podcast and rate and review it from wherever you get your podcast from and thank you for listening and we will be back next week with a recap of the fourth week of the 2019 Monday League season.